So this is a crazy story. The night before, uh, Lefty Cray wanted to, he was writing for the Baltimore Sun at the time, and and he wanted a a, a, a little night fishing or a, a night fishing story. And so he got a hold of me and uh, and said, "Could you get? Do you think you could get a good fish for me?" And I said, "You know, maybe I could if I could get lucky." And so that night uh, we were down on Spruce Creek, and I took a, about a six-pound brown trout, and uh, it was it was you know a heavyweight. It was about. That was Joe Humphreys telling the story about the largest fly caught brown in the state of Pennsylvania. Another milestone for you today. This is episode number 73 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Please take a look at the Wet Fly Swing Member Society group where you can support some of the new innovative partner companies we have and get exclusive discounts on products and services. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash members to get started today. In today's episode, I chat with 90-year-old Joe Humphreys, who is quite possibly the biggest name in fly fishing today. We talk about the new movie that was produced to document his life. We hear about uh, how his wrestling background influenced him and how the Great Depression also had a big impact. Joe shares some of the tips on casting in the wind, how to set up your leader, and how long he plans to stay in the game. Don't miss this as Joe and I I poke Joe a bit about uh, his background on how he slaps around people to get them fired up. So, without further ado... Here's Joe Humphreys from Live the Stream. How's it going, Joe? Very good, David. Good, good. Uh, it's really good to have you on here. I've I've interviewed a, a number of people that have had some connections to you. Obviously, you've been around a long time, so it's no surprise. Um, you know, uh, George Daniel was on in a previous episode. I think he was the one where I originally he helped me connect um, with you. But yeah, you have a. I mean, you've got a movie coming out this year. All sorts of good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Could you talk about? Yeah, we uh, with uh, the film festival. The movie has been uh, it's on the stream. Uh, it's uh, been very successful. Uh, won several awards. Uh, the Breckenridge uh, Film Festival, the uh, Indianapolis uh, Heartland Festival, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania Festival, uh, Westchester. That's out of Philadelphia. That's been very successful. So uh, it's it's moving right along, and we have it's it will be uh, in uh, uh, let me see Saint what is it Obisto in California. Okay, okay. So yeah, it's so it's it, it it's been a lot of fun and 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 and, and rather exciting, and you know we won several awards, and so it's. It's been fun. Yeah. yeah. I'll link out um, in the show notes um, for this episode. I'll link, uh, leave links to um, where they can check out where you're heading and where you've been. But um, maybe you can, uh, you know, before we jump into some of the, the, your background and the movie and stuff, you can just talk about how you first got into fly fishing. Well, I was raised in uh, a little village of uh, Curvinsville, Pennsylvania. And uh, in the Depression in 1929, uh, my father, uh, lost his job in the bank because the banks closed. 
And so we moved to State College, Pennsylvania, and I was six years old at the time. So State College, Pennsylvania was at that time uh, rather infamous in the fly fishing world because Spring Creek had a section on it, one mile section, which was the first fly fishing project, I think, in, in the United States, if not the world. And uh, so uh, it was uh, one mile of stream. Uh, it opened on May the 15th uh, and closed uh, July 31st. Uh, and on one day, in the opening day, and I can't remember which what year it was, but there were 3,000 fishermen in that one mile. Now, this is fly fishing, and these guys came from all over the world. So the project, this project started in 1934. So Pennsylvania was really way ahead of its time relative to a major project like this uh, in, in the fly fishing world. So, so the fact that uh, it was such a big thing and fly fishing was uh, an exciting thing to do. Uh, but first, uh, when I I my father took me fishing when I was six, when we first came to State College, and uh, I uh, he bought me a kingfisher rod. Uh, it was, I think, seven and a half foot, and it cost $7, I think, something like that. And um, uh, we went to Spring Creek. Um, the season opened at 5 in the morning. It was still... Uh, almost dark when we started to fish, and I put I had a, a worm on uh, on a hook and threw the the line in the water and felt a tug and 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 threw a fish back over my head and it landed in the grass behind me and on, when I finally found it and the grass was wiggling, uh, it was an eight inch trout and I thought it was the most wonderful thing in the history of the world. So oh, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you and my father <laughs> had no experience whatsoever. He just wanted to be with his son and and he had a, a very clumsy uh, piece of equipment. I can't remember what it was. But he hooked a, a foot-long fish, and he threw the rod down and grabbed the line and brought it in hand over hand. So, huh. yeah, we were, you're talking about being novices. Yes, we were. That's amazing. Real, real beginners, yeah. But, you know, the, 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 the great thing with me was, you know, my childhood was fantastic due to the fact that uh, we have within, at that time, and in State College, Pennsylvania, where my home was, we had uh, a half a dozen streams um, within a 20-mile radius. Uh, there was Spring Creek, Fishing Creek, Penns Creek, the Little Juniata, and uh, and a myriad of other streams, uh, a lot of mountain streams. Uh, so it was uh, a real mecca for, for trout fishing. And so, and and then when I was a little older, and then I could, and when I was riding my bicycle, um, it, it was a, I couldn't have had a, a more wonderful childhood because I would pedal my bicycle to uh, the tributaries of Spring Creek, some in the mountains, but uh, like the Thompson Run and and some great feeders that were little limestone streams that fed Spring Creek, and so. You know, it was it was a real wonderful learning situation. Uh, in my bib overhaul, I would crawl up to the stream, and then 
uh, early in the morning and uh, the grass was wet with dew and um, and I would be soaked um, but I would uh, I learned to crawl because when I walked up to the stream the, the fish went everywhere and so uh, it was a, a no-win situation so I finally learned to to stay low and and crawl and and I learned so much from from just plain observation right uh, right and know, I learned and I was going to Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say I the, learned the pecking order and how fish lots of times lined up. Uh, I learned, uh, you know, that how they positioned themselves to feed. Uh, and then uh, I learned basically uh, what they were feeding on. And I tell this one story, and I, I tell this story and, uh, and uh, live the stream. And um, I've, I've told this story many times, but... Uh, there was a trout that I was really uh, trying to catch, and and um, being so clumsy, and my casting was poor, and and I would spook the fish every time uh, that you know that that I uh, went after it, and so I I didn't know basically I I watched this fi- fish, and and it was feeding would be feeding uh, off to one side, and then uh, it would it would drop back, and it was behind a stone, and and and. I should watch his mouth open and close, and and I was totally frustrated. So uh, I spooked the fish, and finally, out of frustration, walked into the stream and grabbed a handful of vegetation, and it was just alive with freshwater shrimp. And so I went up, and there was a little touch of orange when there when the, the shrimp are, are uh, you know, uh, toward the end of their longevity, they they they'll have that little touch. And so I found some orange sewing thread in my mother's sewing box and I got some fur and it was I think fox fur and I fashioned a, what I thought looked like a shrimp and uh, went back after that fish and it was it was there and I made a cast and it was not a very accurate cast but that fish moved a, a couple of feet maybe two or three feet uh, out of its way and picked that that nymph up and uh, it was a 14-inch brown, and I flipped it out on the bank uh, without too much ceremony and uh, uh, killed it, put it in my basket and uh, my bicycle, and uh, sung to the top of my lungs the whole way home because I was so thrilled with that fish. So, uh, that's yeah, cool. So that's, you know, that's, that's my early childhood. Gotcha. So uh, That's so- how it went. So you had so as you have the um, and I want to get back uh, you know more of the the history here on how you got up to teaching at um, at the university. But can you take us back and tell us? You mentioned the depression, and in my you know my grandma, I remember her talking about you know the depression. What what did um, you know? What did that period teach you? Do you remember much about it? Well, I don't. I was you know I was I was born during the depression, uh, and uh, I was born in nineteen twenty nine. Uh, oh right, ninety years. Gotcha. I'm 90 years old now, but I remember, you know, the fact that that we had uh, wall-to-wall nothing and back-to-the-wall payments. You know, that times were really tough, and and so my father, uh, wanting to educate uh, us uh, when we moved to State College and and the university was there. Then it was Pennsylvania State College. It wasn't a university then, and he finally got a job in the bursar's office as a clerk, and and so. Uh, uh, that's this is the this is how you know and but I yeah. remember the depression it was so you know and then then when we come out of the depression we get we we got into a 
uh, World War Two. Right. And so uh, in the 40s, uh, the gas was rationed, uh, food was rationed. Uh, uh, and so uh, my father and I both rode, rode bicycles because of the gas situation. Oh, wow. So you, yeah, <laughs> you were still fishing, going strong even throughout the... Uh, the oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the 40s, I was... I was and and I, caught, I caught my first trout on a fly when I was nine years old and uh there was a trico hatch on spring creek and these fish were going crazy and for whatever reason the only flies i had were wet flies that my father got out of a spiggle catalog and spiggle that, that outfit's long gone and uh, all the flies that were wet flies and they were all number tens and but i put this fashioned this fly on the tune of my leader and I dropped it in and it, it didn't sink right away. It just floated around and, and uh, this finally, uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the trout committed suicide, but a nine inch trout grabbed that fly and I flipped it out in the bank. And so that was my first trout on a, on a fly. Oh, gotcha. so, yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so basically you go into, um, yeah, the, the forties and then, I mean, can you take us back, uh, you know, so from that point on to where you start to get into the, the college and, and teaching what, what went on mm-hmm. between those two, that period between now, between kind of the forties and then when you started teaching at the college? Well, <clears throat> And all through the through the forties, uh, I, I I learned from uh, a guy by the name of Clyde Scheffler that lived a, across the street from me. Uh, he uh, was a a pretty decent. He was a he smoked too much and he rolled his own cigarettes and he he had breathing problems. He was suffering from whatever. But he took me fishing a couple of times and taught me the wet fly game and and how to rig wet flies and 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 different patterns to use. And so I really became addicted to the wet fly game. And you know, believe it or not, as you know, wet flies are effective all year round. And so, depending how you fish them, you can fish them as a nymph. You can fish them as as moving and and so so many different ways of fishing them but uh then through the 40s you know i i became a rather adept at, at the wet fly game and then uh naturally when they were on top uh, i adjusted to you know uh, what they were doing on top so uh, but back in my time uh in in the 40s at the end of the 30s and the 40s uh the guys that had had the expertise, Clyde Scheffler was a different breed, but uh, guys like George Harvey and uh, there was uh, another guy by the name of Klein. Uh, these guys had some real insights into the game. Uh, they were advanced for their times, but nobody shared anything. They they were not about to tell anybody anything. Uh, basically. Uh, uh, I, uh, this, these are my secrets and I'm not going to share because I don't want any competition type of thing, you know? So that's what we were faced with back in those days. So uh, it was, but then I learned, you know, going to Fisherman's Paradise, I learned from, from 
other fishermen watching them and talking to them and uh, uh I've got you know picked up a lot of insights into the game from just uh observation hmm. so it was uh, i I grew up and I wouldn't change my childhood for anything in the world because it was it was so special yeah and I had so many streams to fish and and uh how did you get to how did you get to um can you take us to that point where you got the, and maybe explain the, the school, the, the, you know, where you're teaching at the school, that was a big part of your career, right? At, was that, at Penn State? Yeah. Is that how you well, supported? Let me, let yeah. me take you back then. Uh, I graduated from the university in, uh, 1957 and I took a, a job at Penn's Valley, uh, high school as a wrestling coach and, and, uh, uh, a phys ed teacher and uh and uh and I also taught history and and uh, a couple other subjects but the reason I chose Penns Valley and and then uh, jobs were they needed teachers uh they didn't pay anything I think uh I was a head wrestling coach and and uh, taught different subjects uh I think my my salary was 4000 bucks so it wasn't a lot of money at the time, but you know it was it was a job. But the, the reason I chose Penn's Valley was because of Penn's Creek, and I loved that. That was a big, wonderful trout stream, and and uh, so that gave me an op- opportunity to you know work work big waters, and I found you know I I, I made a study of the of the uh, food chain. And learn to imitate at the vice uh, exactly what I thought was needed. And some of my patterns, like the sulfur nymph and uh, my green drake nymph, and, uh, and and a couple other patterns, my crest bug. Um, uh, I took these insects home, stuck them on the end of a pin, and tied and tied and screwed it around until I got basically what I thought was really the the best imitation and they they were good imitations they worked like like gangbusters and so then i started to to get the insights on on nymphing and and uh and uh how to really work the bottom and 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 how to get line control from rod tip to to the nymph and then i learned with the depths and speed of the waters how to adjust uh my my weights and and it it became a real educational process so then i went to the money was so good i left penn's valley and went to catanning pennsylvania into the western part of the state i was there for four years uh, again as a wrestling coach and uh and a teacher uh fished some of the streams like the allegheny river and some of the streams for uh bass and other warm water fish uh, but there were a couple of trout streams in western Pennsylvania that I fished. But I, I finally left it after four years and came back to Bald Eagle area. And that was on the uh, Bald Eagle and, and Spring Creek. Spring Creek comes into the Bald Eagle. And so in 1968, uh, I talked the administration into a fly fishing course and it was probably one of the first in ever in Pennsylvania uh as a uh in a curriculum a high school curriculum 
and I would we had casting classes in 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 the gym, and then I would take them over to the ball to go across the road over to the stream, and show them how to go after trout. So that went from sixty eight, sixty nine, and then I went to Penn State in nineteen seventy. So by these years, you know, I was starting to become far more accomplished and 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 uh, had more insights. I think then. Well, and, and uh, the book came out in 1981, and there, it's it's still going. And uh, in 1993, they I revised it and made it, and they brought it out. It was a, a paperback at first, and then I in '93 it came out as a hardback. But um, that book is is it's basically the insights of uh the nymphing uh top water game uh the night game uh it's pretty inclusive yeah and it's and it's and it's sold many thousand copies you can imagine uh from nineteen eighty one through the to the present time here we are and uh it's at this stage, at this stage, uh, my God, it's you know, it's the fact that they're still printing it and and I'm selling it and I'm, and I'm, the book sales are going up now because of uh, uh yeah. because of the stream. What is it about that book that was so um, so unique, so special? Well, I think the, that it had a lot of really good basics, you know, and and. Uh, uh, leader construction and and uh, nymphing. Uh, then uh, then later, you know, the, I, I I learned from George Harvey. Uh, George and I started a fish together. Uh, I would see him on the stream, but George George wouldn't tell me anything. He wasn't he, he wanted to catch fish and the hell with he, you know the hell with the kids. You know, in other words, basically get lost, kid. You know, and so uh, but then later on. And when I was at Bald Eagle teaching that course, uh, and he knew that he was going to retire, and he he was looking for somebody to continue the angling course at Penn State, uh, then he he started to take a real interest in me, and so then we started to fish together uh, uh, on a regular basis. And so then I learned some real insights, the tuck cast, and some things from George that that were really helpful and uh, gave me, um, you know, uh, so many more insights and and some more and many more approaches. And so that was a a big help to me. And and uh, George and I both loved to fish at night, and so we really got into the night game, and uh, and we caught a lot of a lot of nice fish. So anyhow, then when when it was his time to retire from Penn State University in 1970, he brought me into Penn State, and so I was an assistant wrestling coach for two years under Bill Cole, and then uh, also took over the angling program. Okay. So yeah. So you took over you took over that program from George from George yeah. in 1970. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, and and what and from nineteen seventy okay. to nineteen eighty nine, with nineteen years, I taught that course. Yeah. Oh wow, nineteen years. Okay, so that would bring us up to mm-hmm. nineteen. Uh, yeah, basically around nineteen ninety. And then who took over? Yeah, uh-huh. And then who took over from you then? 
and uh, a gentleman by the name of Vance McCullough took over. Okay. And Vance was a a, a fine angler, and but uh, yeah, uh, I think he was there for seven years, and then Mark Belden uh, followed him, and uh, now Greg Hoover has it. Oh wow! So you were one of the longest, mm-hmm. the tenured. Yeah. Group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, so, okay, so that kind of brings us back to the, the 1990s, and, you you know, we've talked, I definitely want to get into some of the night fishing, because, uh, you know, there's certain places out here, I'm on the West Coast, and we don't have a heck of a lot of night fishing. In fact, I don't even think it's legal in, in some, in most yeah, areas. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember uh, fishing in California, uh, and the guy that, that, wanted me to fish with him and uh, I think this was on the truckie uh-huh. and and he said I think we can do better after dark and uh, even though he said it's illegal but he says nobody around here is is, is ever going to catch us so <laughs> that's right so so I did I did night fish in California and I did catch a couple of fish so yeah yeah you, you can do it <laughs> illegally <whatever>. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I hear you I hear you well we've all we've all had uh, some of those moments for sure um, what, what do you think, um, you know, for the night game, can you ex- explain, uh, maybe just describe what, what that's like for people that have never done it or how, how it might be night diff- fishing. Yeah. How is that different from normal? Yeah. Normal well, one fishing? of the things, you know, uh, uh, and, and you want to learn the water that you're going to fish. You really want to know it well in the daytime. Uh, let's say that there's a, uh, a pool or a run that, that you you know has holds good fish and uh so uh you don't know you know on the far bank you may have a lot of vegetation and and uh, uh a lot of trees or whatever uh you want to learn to cast and make sure that you can get you know get your flies back under those trees and you you know where to drift that rod and where to squeeze off that power stroke and and how to how to work the water because at night and without that daylight and is not that good uh you'd better you better know your water and so you learn it in the daytime and then you transfer it over at night and then secondly it all depends on what you're fishing, but uh, if, you know, when I'm, I'm using uh, like the George Harvey big wet wet flies at night, or um, I have a, a couple of patterns. I have a stone fly pattern that's, uh, uh, it's on a number, number four. Uh, it's very effective. Uh, and then sometimes I nymph at night. And, but, no matter what you're doing, it's it's uh, you slow the whole process down. Uh, big fish, uh, they they have excellent eyesight at night, better than you think. Um, but uh, uh, it's you, your your whole plot process is slowing down and and and, and working slowly. Uh, to give them uh, a better chance to see it, and and uh, and still you're moving your flies slowly, and uh, and movement does kill. They'll 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 pick up something that's moving, and so uh, that's the other aspect. And then and here again, it depends on 
it depends on a lot of different things uh the depth and speed of the water uh what what maybe there is a stonefly hatch or maybe at night uh uh there's a, a sulfur hatch and that sulfur hatch has been coming off for uh, uh, maybe two or three weeks and so uh you can do well in the daytime but when you're after uh, the bigger fish and the heavyweights and 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 then then I nymph after dark. Now here's something that uh, that uh, it's hard to believe, but big fish or any fish, any trout, they can pick up uh, like a, a number twelve or a, like a or a, even a, as small as a fourteen. They have that that visibility after dark to see those flies and so i've i've nymphed upstream working pockets and working glides and runs with with nymphs at night and and you can get closer to your quarry at night and uh and and so uh i short line after night uh with nymphs uh like a sulfur hatch with sulfur nymphs and it can be very effective very effective yeah, and here's another tip, you know, like, uh, let's say the green drake hatches on Penge Creek, and uh, everybody's standing around and getting ready for the green drakes, and they're, they'll fish after dark on, on fish feeding on top. But what they don't understand, and, and, and you may have a lot of, a lot of green drakes coming down and, and trout are in the, intercepting them, uh, with not a lot of great regularity, it may be, or, or even maybe one, one or two fish maybe feeding steadily, and everybody's keying on uh, what they see on top. But what they don't understand is that sulfur hatch has been on for weeks, and those fish are so conditioned to that sulfur, they're they're not they don't really give a, a toot because that that green drake hasn't been on long enough to really stimulate them. So. I go and I'm fishing with a, a pair of sulfur nymphs after dark, and, he's, and and I'm I'm catching fish, and other guys aren't. And they're saying, you know, what's he doing, and and why is he catching, and why aren't we catching? And that's the reason, you know, to try to have been conditioned to the the sulfurs, and that's what they're looking for. And if you get it down to them, and and the right depth and the speed, and then you're going to catch fish. So you know, it's just. And then, and then, as the the green drake hatch, let's say, progresses, and they and they start to condition to that that fly, then I'll after dark, you know, go down after with a pair of green drake nymphs. So, and then I I I will at night when when those nymphs are are on, instead of nymphing lots of times, when they're starting to lift. I will turn around with a pair of big wet flies and go after them uh, uh, working working wet flies because they're they're now starting to look up and they're intercepting stuff coming up so wet flies can be deadly. Hmm. So, yeah, that that all makes sense. So so basically the the advantage is one of them um, is that you can be a little stealthier. It's easier to get closer to the fish. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, closer to the fish, sure. Yeah, but just fishing yeah. in the dark. Yeah, it sounds like it yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Just <laughs> trying not to oh, fall on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then with wet flies, and you're working downstream, you can cover a little bit more water, you know, and on the swing, and and uh, and sometimes you hold the 
hold your wet flies in one productive area. You can reach with the rod and hold them there for a little longer and, and bounce them and, and, and uh, uh, where you might have some feeding fish, and, and they take them. Hmm. So, yeah. That's cool. And then there's a dry fly game, you know, <clears throat> at night, and, you know, it's, you you want to you got fish rising in front of you and and uh one thing i learned and, and this was a, a a great learning session i was on Penge creek one night and there was a, a green dray catch and and uh, i was working what i thought was a, a pretty good pattern and uh i had i think four or five fish feeding steadily in front of me and I, I couldn't raise one of them. I, I, there's no way I could catch them. And I, so I got down on my belly and I just crawled right up to the very edge of the stream. And although it was pretty dark, I could see well enough in my, as my eyes adjusted, these fish were really almost in front of me. And, and, and what I found out was that the, the, the fish, the, the flies that were spent, they didn't, they didn't bother them. But any fly that was moving, and 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 causing a bit of a commotion they inhaled so then i i learned that if i could work hold my my fly in their feeding zone and and move it i would take more fish and so that that night after watching those those trout inhaled flies that moved then I started to move my fly and just a short line and just keeping keeping the flies kind of moving and drifting in a in in their feeding zone and I picked up more fish. Mm. I finally started yeah, to yeah. catch them. So yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. awesome. No, I, this is, this is yeah. good. I want to I want to follow up too. I have some questions from some people in the uh, Facebook group for you. But before I get there, I, you, you know, we talked a little bit about wrestling and obviously that's been a big mm-hmm. part of your life as a coach. What you know what can you talk about like what makes a good wrestler and, and is there any similarities between wrestling and fly fishing well yeah uh <laughs> patience is one thing uh and uh you know first you have to have a a, a knowledge of the game you know you have, you have to know what you're doing to be a good wrestler you have to you have to have some smarts you know i had a lot of coaching in wrestling and uh, because i've i wrestled for uh, uh, State College High School, and then uh, then I joined the Navy and I wrestled for Pensacola pre-flight, uh, and then uh, I wrestled at Penn State, and so uh, some of the coaching was excellent, uh, but not so much for me. Uh, uh, my high school coach was a wonderful man. Uh, taught us uh, the, uh, how to live uh, a good moral life and, and all the wonderful things, but he was not a very good wrestling coach. I mean, he he was a, you know, um, and I I didn't learn very much from him. I learned from other wrestlers, and then then finally, when I wrestled for Pensacola pre-flight. Uh, there was a gentleman who had been an Olympic coach with a team back in 1936, and and he was a, a hell of a nice guy. But here again, we didn't learn much. Uh, we had uh, on that team, we had a, a lot of guys that had wrestled for other universities, and they're now going to Pensacola pre-flight to become pilots. I was the um, I think the only white hat on that team, the only 
non-officer on that team. So anyhow, and and we had kind of a collegiate schedule. Uh, we you know we wrestled Northwestern uh, hmm. and then Millersville State Teachers College and Appalachian, and you know we we had a neat schedule. So then when I came to Penn State, uh, oh, and, and before that, uh, right out of high school, I went to the Olympic trials in 1948, and uh, I won the middle. Or, excuse me, I took second in the middle Atlantic AAUs, and that was kind of a, a bit of a qualifier for the Olympic trials. And but I got beat in the Olympic trials. But anyhow, uh, it, that was a good educational experience for me because uh, it was the, the, you know, the Olympic style was different from the freestyle that high school and college. So anyhow, then uh, I went on to Penn State, and uh, we had uh, uh, some wonderful wrestlers that I learned from, but uh, our wrestling coach was uh, here again, a wonderful man. But um, basically, wrestling practice at Penn State was three nine-minute matches and go home, you know? So it it wasn't really good stuff. And now, then when I was an assistant coach at Penn State, I was assistant under Bill Cole, and Bill Cole wrestled for Iowa State Teachers College, which is northern Iowa now. And he was uh, he was a three-time national champion. Uh, could have been a four-time, but uh, he was on uh, uh, Normandy Beach, so he missed that year, and he and he survived it. Yeah, and so he his coach at at uh, Iowa State Teachers College was a, a wonderful coach, and, and he became a, a, an amazing wrestler. His record was 75-0, and 0, and so he he was a three-time national champion, and he was really, he had, I learned more in one week from him, and I had all all the other many years, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I was wrestling varsity for Penn State when I was 28, so I was a lot older than a lot of the kids, you know. Gotcha. They're coming out of high school and they're 18, 19, 20, yeah. Huh, so, I was an old man. <laughs> so so basically the the wrestling piece, that's always been, you know, obviously a big part of your life. What? Um, yeah, it's been a yeah. big part of my life, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and then I coached yeah. at those three different high schools, and and uh, that was a wonderful experience. And I think I, I hopefully helped a lot of kids. So, yeah, it was wonderful. Cool. So... You know, I, I actually I mentioned I had George Daniel on, and he um, he made the comment. We were kind of you know kind of jokingly, but he said um, he mentioned about you know a little bit of your personality. He says occasionally you would uh, you would slap him around a little bit to get him fired up. Is that uh, is, is there any is there <laughs> well, any is well, there any truth really. to that? I just, I, I, not not physically, but I would mentally uh, get on his case. You know, and that he was. You know, there's some some situations uh, when I would be fishing with him that um, he wasn't quite getting it, and and uh, I I would kind of get on his case a little bit and 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 push him push him a little bit and and uh, so yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and what um, when you have somebody that's maybe not quite getting it, how do you know um, you know you know, kind of getting on them. I mean, I guess that's one teaching. Is that the same thing with wrestling? Where does that make a good wrestling? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you know, and and with wrestling and 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 with fly fishing too. Uh, with wrestling, I would drill, you know, and we would drill and drill and drill and drill until you know they it was done properly and and they and they 
they had it, you know, they learned it. And uh, and when you drill it and you, you you pick it apart and you put all the pieces together and on a move and, you know, whether if it's a stand, uh, you know, how to turn which, which foot, foot's coming out first and that's the foot you turn in and, and when you, when you stand, all your weight's coming back in and your thrust is back and your, your arms are in tight. So if the guy comes, comes over you, he goes over your arms. And that way you're, when you, you, you pivot, you slide your, you can slide your shoulder and his arms can't stop you. And, you know, those are basics. And so it's the same thing in fishing. Basics, basics, you know. Uh, your cast, uh, you don't, <clears throat> With with some cast, uh, you stop the rod high. Uh, you have a little uh, uh, a tuck in it. Uh, um, you stop the rod high. Let the nymph uh, stop high and duck under. And uh, you you don't make that cast until you feel the weight, the pull of the weights behind you. Because if you start too early, you you don't have a a good cast and you don't have control. So you have to feel the weights behind you, and 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 you can feel the, the that subtle pull of the rod tip as it loads. Then uh, the casting stroke is is a, a short stroke, and 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 you stop it high. Therefore, you get a nice deep tuck, and the nymphs come to then on the extended cast, and then the nymphs stop and then tuck down. And uh, and when you make that cast, you push your thumb down on the rod, and on your thumbs on top of the rod, you push your thumb down so the thumb pressure that stops any tailing loops, so you don't have a your weights and and everything. Uh, pulling together into a terrible mess, so it takes the uh, the weights over the rod tip. So these are those are basics, you know. Your thumb comes in, you know, you, it's where you stop the rod. It's waiting, waiting till it loads, and it's, it's all of these things, you know. These are basics, and this is, and then you drill. Then you, then, then I. So that's what I would do with George. I would take my hand and put my hand on his, and we would drill until he got the feel of it. He got the, and he could understand it, you know. And then, yeah, yeah. And know, he became a very good fisherman. He became an excellent fisherman. Uh-huh. He's, yeah, and, and he's he's a he's a dear boy. He's that's a, cool. Mm-hmm. And I think he has. I mean, we talked a little bit about the the school too. I asked him, you know, if that might be something he'd be interested in. It sounds like, yeah, if the opportunity came, he he might. Well, that's be. what I want him. That he's he's the next man in, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, there's a right at the right now. Uh, the there's an endowment for the angling program, and uh, it's under my name, and so. Um, I think we have a couple hundred thousand dollars in this endowment so far, and that that means that they can't dump the angling program, you know. And so, and and so, uh, Greg Hoover, who has it now, uh, he wants to go a couple more years, but uh, I want to. I I've already talked to the personnel at the university, and they know my, and they said that you know uh, they would respect my wishes, and so. I, I want George in there because I think he could do an excellent job. There you go. There you go. Good, good stuff. That's good to hear. Yeah. George is a, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, just met him on the, on the podcast, but yeah, he seems like a great guy. So that, that's cool to hear. I, I want to get into a few uh, tips because we had some questions from people in the group. Um, and one of them was, uh, you know, casting, obviously you've taught a lot of people how to cast and the basics there. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas Hardy was asking about, 
if you have any tips for casting into the wind. Into the wind, yeah. I drift I drift the, the, the rod into the wind, and I drift the rod further forward, and then make a my casting stroke is nothing but the wrist and pressure down to make sure that that line is going over the rod tip and the back two fingers pull the thumb pushes down and you don't dump the rod tip you keep it rather level and right into the wind and that's how you do that okay so you so you use your more you use more wrist to, to kind of yeah I use wrist yeah to, to, well yeah. all my casting is wrist uh, it, it is so, so many people lock oh yeah so many people lock the wrist and they that's you know that's okay for tournament casting or whatever you know but but you know the the ten to two cast but my all my casting strokes are very short okay. So you know the thumb comes up in, uh, into the cast, and then my hand drifts forward only uh, an inch or a couple of inches, and then then it's wrist. Okay. Yeah. And can you? So if you're making a long, could you make how long of a cast could you make using a lot of wrist? Well, using my wrist and and, and with a uh, with double hauling, and I make uh, and I and I have a very short, a very short haul, and. Uh, I can shoot probably eighty feet, ninety oh, feet. No kidding. That's that's yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to yeah. um, before we went on uh, Lucas, who was uh, help helped produce the Live the Stream the movie. We were chatting about it, and yeah, mm-hmm. he he noted you were out on one of the streams in the movie, and and you were I think casting eighty or eighty five feet. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, same thing, just with with ease. So I mean, obviously you can cast far. Uh, that is a that is a good tip because I know I've taught people done some casting instruction in the past and i always talk about not breaking the wrist but yeah no it's good to hear that there's definitely times where yes. you might want to break it a little bit to get a specific type of cast and another thing you know with distance casting i you know i i call it i climb the angle i'm lifting the line i'm lifting up at the the, the line is at an angle and you you keep the raw tip going at that angle so you have a nice high back cast and then you have a lot of line in there, then you have your your hull, and then you have a lot of line in the air behind you. And one of the one of the big secrets, and, and uh, I think one of the the real real uh, clues for distance casting is you have to wait till you feel the rod load. So many people are are in a hurry, and they have a lot of line behind them, and they get they're too impatient. And they make the casting stroke before that rod is ever really loaded. So if you climb that angle and you have that nice and that nice high back cast, and it's a nice and, and as you climb the angle and you stop that rod tip up in there, right, absolutely, you're you're stopping the rod high and stopping it quickly up right up high. Then you have a nice tight back cast. Then when that you can feel that rod load, you can just feel it pull that you can feel it right down to your casting hand and then i just put the wrist to it and then huh. off it goes there you go and yeah. and how do you you know for somebody who's new to casting knowing when it's loaded is there a good way to to know does it just all feel yeah yeah it's all feel you yeah. have to feel it it, you, it comes right down to your hand yeah yeah, yeah it's, okay um and i had another question here this one um comes from uh, sam and he he asked he wanted to know what your favorite uh rod is today in relation to kind of the nymphing stuff you've done 
Uh, uh, Orbis makes uh, the Helios. That's uh, I like that. I like the nine foot for for the five or six weight. And then, uh, but Cortland Line Company is now making a real nice rod, and uh, and I have the nine for uh, uh, five weight. And uh, it's uh, for nymphing. It's uh, it's pretty deadly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and they and they also make a ten foot rod that I like, and and that's a uh, that's a uh, Cortland makes a ten for a four weight. That's it's a great nymphing rod, yeah. Okay, so you like so you're perfect. So for your style of nymphing, you like a is a ten foot rod is your favorite length? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and ten foot for a five weight or six weight. Yeah, and I use you know like even when I'm brush fishing, uh, I use as long a rod as I can possibly get away with. You know, a thicket. Uh, if I can get away with a seven and a half foot rod, I will because then I can lift more line over more currents for a longer drift okay okay all right great um and i also had um jeff jeff ellie uh, mentioned this he was curious he wanted to hear and you mentioned earlier i think you got this fish night fishing but do you still hold the record for the largest uh trout is it a brown trout in the state no uh, uh i might it might still be the record on a fly oh, okay uh, uh mine was a 16 pound 34 inch fish but uh it's been broken several times since that seventeen pounds uh, okay. the the record now in Pennsylvania is nineteen pounds, but that was taken on a live minnow in uh Lake Erie. Can you take us to that moment and talk about how you got that fish and what that was like? yeah, that was uh I had fish for that fish for uh I heard him one night and it sounded like uh somebody. Somebody, uh, it's, to me, it sounded like a deer jumped into the water off the bank, <laughs> and it was a, a terrific splash. And and then, but uh, with a deer, you hear him running out, and then it just was stone stone quiet. And I knew it was a big fish, and there weren't any carp or anything. And that big, only only thing that big would be a trout. And so I started after that. I, I worked the rest of that that year. And that was, let me say, I caught the fish in 77, so that was 76, 75. And then, and then the next year, uh, I worked only in the dark of the moon. And so, uh, I, I worked the same area where from the bottom was a big long hole, and I worked from, the, the basically where I heard that fish uh, was down to the tail end of the pool, but there was a tree that had fallen over in the water, and I think that's that's where that fish was living. And so I worked from that tree down, and to no avail for the second year. And then George Harvey and I were talking, and he said, "You know, Joe," he said, "that fish might be going up into that. There was a, a nice rift coming in, and he said that that fish could be going up in there and feeding in the rifts." And for these reasons, uh, crayfish are nocturnal. Sculpins, which I call them the, the stra- strawberry shortcake of the trout world, uh, they're nocturnal. Uh, all your hatching activity, your stoneflies and your bigger flies coming off are nocturnal. So he said, why don't you, and, 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 
and the rifts, this is where all that activity really happens. And so, you know, you have a, a much better chance of, of finding a, a good fish where the rift goes into the pool. So he said, why don't you try that? So this is a crazy story. The night before, uh, Lefty Cray wanted to, he was writing for the Baltimore Sun at the time, and, and he wanted a, 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 a little night fishing, or a, a night fishing story. And so he got a hold of me and uh, and said, "Could you get? Do you think you could get a good fish for me?" And I said, "You know, maybe I could if I could get lucky." And so that night uh, we were down on Spruce Creek, and I took a, about a six-pound brown trout, and uh, it was it was you know a heavyweight. It was about uh, I think maybe 26 inches long. And then he got a he had a, a real good story, and he was excited, and I was really tickled too. And so then very next. Nice Next night, it had a real light little rain, and, and uh, a buddy of mine called, who I taught with uh, at Baldigal High School, and he said, Hump, he says, I'm so tired of watching television. He said, um, why, don't, why don't you go fishing tonight? And I said, well, you know, that's not a bad idea. Let's, we can have fun together. So I went down to this pool. Down, this is on Fishing Cricket in Pennsylvania. So I went down to this pool and I went down through this long run and uh, I took a, a trout maybe uh, 18, 19 and that was exciting and 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 so by now it's it's midnight and Al says, uh, my friend says, don't you think it's time to go home now? He says, you know, it's, and I says, well, we will um, let let me just go to the top of this up by this riff and and go down through this one more time, and so I had a pair of big George Harvey night flies on, and I threw them across under a hemlock bough on the far side. Then there was a little backwater, and they started to swing and they stopped. And I put the hooks to this fish, and it sounded like somebody was rolled over a wash tub. It. And my buddy said, Al said, oh, my God, what was that? And I said, that's a trout, and I have them on the other end. And so that trout went like crazy trying to reach that tree down in the water. And uh, I finally got enough pressure on them, and, and thank God that it, I was using a heavy enough leader that it didn't break. And I, I turned the fish and finally got them up under, the, under my feet, and I didn't have a net. And uh, on that, I would, wouldn't have had a net big enough anyhow. So I got them on the rocks in front of me and threw the rod down and got both arms under it and threw them up on the bank. And my buddy said, oh, my God, he says, I've never seen a fish this big. And I said, well, neither have I. So there, there was a, a warden, a, a game warden, was a friend of mine, and he lived in Belfont. That was on my way home, so I... I stopped into his house, and by now it's four in the morning, and I knocked on the door, and he thought I was in some kind of trouble, and I said, no, I got a trout you got to see, and he says, you woke me up at four in the morning to show me some damn fish, and I said, yeah. So then the the, the records were uh, with length, not weight, because there had been so much cheating going on, and so they... They went to length, and so my trout was one inch longer than the previous record. So, yeah, so...
and it turned out to be a heavier fish too. So it, oh wow, yeah, well that's that's a great story. So you guys still yeah. have you still have some big and what what uh, creek was that caught in? That was fishing creek. But no, I don't think I don't think after all the all those years, you know, that's seventy seven. That was a while back, and so a lot of people when they get a good fish, you know, they 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 kill fish, and and so uh, it's hard to find it's hard to find the heavyweights anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is and on on some of our streams. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and you, we mentioned, you've mentioned wet flies a few times. Do you, on wet flies, do you ever uh, weight wet flies when you're tying them? Uh, I do. I have. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And what, what situation might you fish, I guess, just like nymphs where do you put a little... Yeah, you t- fish them like nymphs or or when you're getting into, and if you're going, working down, down on a cross and you get into heavier water, um, you know, an unweighted wet fly... You're you're just under the surface, but with a little weight on a pair of flies, uh, and maybe even a, a little additional weight on a leader, uh, you can drop them down pretty pretty well, and pick up fish that you know if they're if they're moving up, but and, and they're they're chasing stuff moving, uh, you're you're now in their ballpark, you know, and so they're they're lifting, but they're they don't have to lift that far, so yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, so we were kind of talking about in the uh, taking us back to 1990. I think is right around there is when you finish your teaching career. What, between 1990 and today, what what uh, what's been keeping you busy as far as? You know? Oh well, you know I I worked uh, with uh, Chuck Ferimsky for many years, and uh, doing all the, the major fly fishing shows, and uh, you know they they went from Seattle to you know, pleasant in California to, I've been doing those for years. And then I, you know, like on the West coast, like California, uh, different, uh, fly fishing organizations like Trout Unlimited or fly fishing federation clubs, they would hire me and I would do five in a row. And, uh, then I would go from venue to venue to venue, you know? And so I did that for a few years. Yeah. I've, I've uh, been very fortunate. To, yeah. Are uh, you uh, Are you getting ready to uh, retire here? Are you gonna? What's your? What no. You... <laughs> uh, my daughters are coming in to pick me up, and uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, I will be in uh, in uh, the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Uh, so Saturday, there's a fly fishing uh, show. I'm being honored. But I'm, I'm getting an award for uh, teaching youth. Uh, in the in the fly fishing game, and so uh, and and I'm doing a show in the afternoon. So yeah, and then the following week I'll be with Chuck again uh, in the fly fishing show in Lancaster. That's a big one. And so uh, yeah, so I just keep moving, you know. And then I, I'm doing the Philadelphia uh, um, Philadelphia Anglers. Uh, another fly fishing group. So yeah, I, I've, I've got, I got a lot, a lot of things going. So it's, and that's at 90 years old, that's good because it keeps me moving. You know, I just, so many people when they, when they get into their seventies and, or even sixties, sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, and they, they said, well, you know, I'm too old for this. And I, you know, I, 
I, uh, I'm going to just sit down and watch the tube and take life easy and, and they yep. fall apart. Yeah, that's true. I agree. I think you got to keep going. You got to keep your, your body as well as your mind, right? You got to keep both of those yeah, things going. Yeah. Yeah. And once you're moving, you know, and, and I still, you know, I, uh, I've had a couple of serious back operations and, uh, and one hip uh, replaced and, uh, and that's from wear and tear over the years. And, and, uh, I might say I lost a lot of matches too. <laughs> so any, yeah. Anyhow, uh, you know, but anyhow, yeah, won a few and lost a few, but anyhow, right. <laughs> uh, you know, wear and tear in the body. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, and, uh, with arthritis and, Oh yeah, old age. But but anyhow, you know it's. But I keep moving, and I still, I still pump still. You know, I still do a little lifting. And, that, that's right. And, uh, I actually, I heard that you actually even do some wrestling, right? Have you? Have yeah, you, you still... I do now. Since my last back operation, I I won't go on the mat anymore. But no. I did. Yeah, I yeah. was rolling around with some of the Penn State guys. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah wrestling. I w- I was more into basketball and baseball. Those were kind of my sports. Well, that's but, good. Yeah, but that's what you kept moving, and that was good. Yeah, yeah. I think, and, and I remember my grandma. She lived a long life as well, and she she pretty much stayed in took college classes throughout her whole life, all the way up until I think she, you know in her nineties, and even I think close to a hundred. I think that you know was the mental part that kept her going strong. So that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty did, cool. Did she make a hundred? Yeah, yeah, she did. Oh, she did. Wow. That was her. You know, again, goals. Um, goals is another thing to think about too. That's important because she had the goal. She's like, you know, I want to hit a hundred. That was <laughs> as we got. You know, I think when she hit ninety five, she was like, all right, I'm going to go for a hundred. So <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. I love that attitude. Exactly. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, she's a good. Um, well. You know, I, I did have a question, and we're—I we're, think we're getting pretty close to getting out of here. But um, you know, you, you've taught a lot of kids. Do you have a quick tip or something for somebody who who wants to get better at teaching kids or youth in general? At teaching kids, yeah, yeah. basics. Go right back to basics. You know, like like uh, in casting, uh, uh, the little things. Uh, uh, lift the you you load the rod as you're lifting it. Uh, the stroke is your rod stops straight up and down. Uh, you wait till the line unfolds behind you. Okay. The, that's mm-hmm. the count of a thousand. If it's just a normal cast, you just say to yourself, 1000 thumb pushing down, just some basics, basics, basics. And you know, yeah. Okay. So keep it, keep it simple. Do you have, um, keep it simple. Yeah. Okay. And we talked a little bit about this, some of your top flies, but do you have, if you had to pick a couple of your go-to flies, if you just had to pick two that you'd stick with? Uh, this is on top? Uh, this, you know, it could or be when? just, yeah, or, just in or, general. Or. Maybe pick one one top, one one nymph. Okay, if I were going in just one top fly, um, it could be an Adams, because it's... Okay. And then you could put a yellow body on it, and then it, it would cover a, yep. a lot of uh, different different uh, flies. Sure. Uh, uh, my sulfur nymph uh, is deadly uh, just about all year long. Okay. And then the the crest bug, C R E S S crest bug, uh, after named after watercress, uh, in our limestone streams uh, here in like Spring Creek and some of the other. Uh, major spring cricks, uh, uh, they're deadly. Mm-hmm. And the freshwater shrimp are always tough. You okay. Know, there's freshwater shrimp across the nation. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there are. There are. Okay. And then what if mm-hmm. about, um, if you had to say two of your top, 
uh, tips just in general? I mean, you've mentioned a lot of tips here, but do you have a couple of just general fly fishing tips you'd, you'd throw out there? Well, you know, yeah, just uh, one of the major tips is line control. Uh, you have to have good control from rod tip to flies all the time. Whether you're nymphing, whether it's a dry fly, no matter what it is, you know, you have to have line control. So if you don't have that, you don't have anything. What? How do you control line when you're casting, say, 85 or 100 feet? How do you, how do you control your line then? Like well, you, what you do, yeah. like, uh, you, you, you can use, once, once you make your initial stroke, then you can move the rod. And so as you might be uh, a reach cast, you shock it, uh, you reach, uh, and if you're a leader, one of the secrets of this whole game is your leader. If you build your leader properly and you have that, that tippet coming down and stacking for you, uh, now you have a drift. If you straighten the, the leader out and you're on, you're working on top of the dry fly, you're, you're, you're killing yourself. So the moral of the story is your leader is so important. Yeah. How, your, how do you, your design, what is your, well, um, yeah. How do you, you, build? you just remember this as you graduate down, uh, in diameters, your last maybe 30 inches or even, you know, three feet, uh, of, uh, tippet, uh, you, you need that length for, uh, a good drift. And then, and then if you shock it and what you do, you stop it high. Yeah. That's the shock. And then you drop your rod tip before the fly comes down and then that stacks the leader. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, do you typically, you, you build most of your own leaders? Yeah, I do. I build my leaders for the conditions I'm facing. Gotcha. Gotcha. What would be a typical for your style of nymphing? If you had to say just in general, what would that leader? Oh, maybe nine, anywhere from nine to 10 feet. Okay. Okay, cool. George's book on uh, Mm -hmm. dynamic nymphing. I think that might be a good nymphing book. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I always liked George Harvey's little booklet, but I don't know whether you even get that anymore. Okay, yeah, I can, I'll look it up. Yeah, if I can, uh, yeah. I'll try to find yeah. some of George's it stuff. Was, it, it was good. Okay. And some real basics and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, uh, it's crazy nowadays because it's probably different from back when you were teaching is, you know, there's just so many resources and I had, um. Oh my, yeah, there's thousands of books out there. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty yeah. unbelievable. I, I was you know, you've been through it. I mean, you've been around longer than, than most, um, you know, but we've talked to some stories about the, the differences of how fly fishing has evolved over the years. What do you think yes. when you look back to the, say the 1950s up until, uh, you know, the, the fifth or now, I mean, what, what do you think is the biggest difference you see? Have you seen a lot of changes? Well, you know, the, the rods that we have today are, are amazing stuff. They, they're, they're, made out of the, the graphite, you know, and us yep. and all that. And even, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, oh, um, you met, you at met, 90, words don't come to yeah, me yeah. sometimes, but well, you, yeah, you mentioned, titanium even, yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're coming up with different stuff in the, in the rods, the designs, and, and the materials now are just so fantastic. You know, like I say, I started with that kingfisher bamboo, and it was a club, you know, and 
and then uh, and up through my lifetime that you know finally we had we had bamboo and the, the rods became you know better and better designs and and uh but uh, then they had the steel steel rod they were hollow and but you know they were still clumsy and and now and it was you know they were they were cumbersome and difficult to to cast with lots of times but now the rods are just you know the materials are just amazing yeah yeah, yeah it is it is do you have when you look back at um you know the stuff you've done we mentioned a book do you have a work something you're most proud of in your 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 career in fly fishing oh i think that teaching all the the people i have over my lifetime i guess maybe if you think about it all those years at penn state and and traveling the country and all of the shows and teaching many thousands of people i think that that's you know if if i've helped somebody and 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 have given them a, a maybe a new lease on life or or gave them something exciting to look forward to uh when they go on a trout stream uh uh, I've given them some direction that has helped them in their life. Uh, that what greater rewards could you have? You know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That that is that is awesome. Um, you know, if you look back on your life, say your 25 year old self, would you have any? If you look back at that age, I think that was what 1955, 56 in there. Do you have any words of advice you might give that person yourself, your 25 year old self? Well. Yeah, let me see. Uh, <laughs> you, you could you could think about that one a little bit if you want. Uh, yeah, that's not a, not, a, not, a, think, <laughs> not an yeah, easy. Yeah, I would I would say one of the things that I uh, uh, I advise people on a trout stream uh, when you're fishing, look up. Don't don't stare at the water for the for eight straight hours. Take a look up and, and look at the beauty around you and see what the good Lord has given us and, and and enjoy it, you know. So many people get so so fixed on catching that fish that they don't they don't see the the beauty in the world around them. So that's a tip. That's yeah. great. That's great. Okay. I think we've kind of covered a, a good chunk of what I wanted to get to. You know, maybe I'll keep up with you and I I think the movie is going to be launched here. Once it's out, I might, I might get him on. And, and maybe when that happens, I can get you back on. We can fill the gaps of sure. anything we missed or, sure. or whatever. But Well, I just, you know, I'm I'm still still going to to shows and, you know, doing doing what I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had, uh, you mentioned. I'm going to give you, uh, yeah. do we have any time left at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as much as you need. Okay, here's a 10-second story. All right. Lady asked me, she said, could you teach a busload of fifth graders? And I said, yeah, I, I'll, I'll try. You know, these are 10-year-old kids. I said, I'll, I'll give it a try. And so she, they came down from Nanaglow, Pennsylvania, down to Fisherman's Paradise. And so uh, they got off the bus. There must have been oh, maybe 15 of them. And, you know, they finally, we all got them corralled and I, and then, and, and, uh, I'm a bit of a disciplinarian. And, and so I, I, I had them marching to the, the tune and I got them all lined up 
and in a very short time they were casting and and I was just so pleased that they were so attentive as little children and they were doing so well and I was very pleased so uh and and the people that were helping uh that came along uh with them uh that assisted me they were just in awe how well these kids were doing so I take them over to the stream to show them how to work the stream and so, uh, and how to fish, basically, uh, and, and they were gonna fish dry flies. And, and so, uh, I put a fly on and, and I had a trout come up and look at it and then, uh, and, 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 uh, then I, I missed one and, but I didn't catch a fish for the kids. So, later on I went home and later on that day, this woman called me and it was in charge of the children and she said oh Mr. Humphrey she said it was just wonderful she said you were just those kids were just doing everything that our casting was just wonderful and and she said and one little girl got three trout and another little boy got two trout and another little girl got three trout and another little boy got four trout and I'm saying, holy hell, I just got outfished by a busload of fifth graders. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, what I'm saying is, this game, the yeah. way the good Lord made it, nobody will ever have all the answers. And so oh. it's, it's, it's always humbling, and it's, it's always, and it's to, to, to be consistent, to taking fish, yeah. Yeah. You 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 can do everything you know to do. Yeah. But you so know, what, you have to have some luck. Yeah. yeah. What well, what if what if you hadn't uh been gone into fly fishing? What what do you think you would have done for a crew? Well, I guess other than well you had wrestling too, but if you didn't have wrestling and Yeah, fly, I would have probably gone into the wrestling game and yeah. and stayed in coaching, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. coaching, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. Well that's that's about all I have hey, for you. Baby. Yeah, I okay, buddy. I appreciate you coming oh, good. on. Yeah. I'll, um, if good. I, if, as I get questions of people in the audience, if they want to check back with me, I'll, I'll definitely, um, I know you're, you're not easy to get a hold of online, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll at least connect them with the film and, and get a link out to that because I yeah. think that's a, I'm going to hopefully help get the word out to, to get that out to people. And yeah, I really look forward to seeing you I so well. appreciate that too, David. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, thank, thanks okay. for everything it was great you being do. with you. Uh, okay. All right. See you, Joe. Talk to you later. Okay. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 73. And another quick shout out to the Wetfly Swing Members Society where you can support the podcast, uh, get all the great content from our partner companies and a bunch of great discounts and bonuses. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to maybe connect with you on the river or online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.